Hey, thanks for joining us for another message from the City Church. We're a local church in Mississauga, Ontario, gathering in community as we move closer to Jesus. We hope this message from our lead pastor, Brent Coulter, encourages you wherever you're joining us from today. Hey, City Church, welcome to part four of our series that we have called Live the Life. And as you just heard on our announcements, next Sunday is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And I just want to remind you, I know you just heard it on the announcements, but we are doing both uh, in-person and online services next weekend. And if you are planning to be part of one of our in-person gatherings, to reiterate, you must register. Please don't show up without a registration. Registration, again, goes live at 10 a.m. this Wednesday. So exciting to look forward to seeing a bunch of you in our building this weekend. But again, don't worry if you can't make it in uh, this weekend or you're not comfortable coming back, we are going to be broadcasting live uh, all three of our services. So it's so exciting for us as we move to Resurrection Sunday. So let's pray together today. Father God, we just love you so much. We thank you for your word today, that your word teaches us how to live our lives. And we are just so thankful for that today. God, we lean into what you would want to say to us. We thank you, Lord, for the help of the Holy Spirit to preach and to listen today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so as we have been uh, talking about in this series, we are talking about life, living the life of God. Now, just the definition of the word life is the principle or force that is considered to underlie the detective quality of animated beings, that we have the life of God in our bodies. The same life of God that God breathed into Adam, into his lungs, is the same life. The electricity of God that is flowing through our bodies right now. So, so far, as we have been talking through this series, we've been talking about the amazingness that's going on on the inside of your bodies because of what God has done. We talked about DNA. We talked about our brains. We talked about the formation of our bodies in our mother's womb. But today, we're going to be talking about something specific. We're going to be talking about our lungs. Now, I know that we all take breathing for granted that the fact that we get to breathe. Now, unless you do some sort of breathing exercises, you'd never actually think about breathing. But you breathe about six million times a year, and you're not concentrating on all of those times, most likely. And it's just amazing that's what's happening uh, in our lungs. The principal function of our lungs is to take oxygen from the environment and to transfer it into your bloodstream. And all of this happens without you thinking about it. You don't have to concentrate on it. God has made it happen so your lungs do this. Now, in your lungs, your, you know, the air, the oxygen flows down your bronchial tubes, and it goes into um, these things. I'm thinking I'm pronouncing this correctly, alveoli. And there is 700 million of those in your lungs. 700 million. These little balloon-like things that when the oxygen goes in, takes the oxygen from the air, dis disperses it into your bloodstream. Now, if we were to think about um, what is the mass of that or what is the area that would cover it, it's seven, 70 meters squared. And that would cover half a tennis court that those little balloons, if we were to spread them out, that's the area that God has made inside of your lungs to take the oxygen from the environment and to get it into your bloodstream. And then we know from science class back in the day that we are taking in oxygen and we are expelling CO2. Now, the average man takes in about 500 milliliters of air as they breathe in, average female, 
a little bit smaller, 400 milliliters of air that you're taking in. So you're taking this in and then you're expelling it. Taking in oxygen, expelling CO2, and we know we call this inspiration when we breathe in and then we breathe out, we are expiration. We're putting the air out of our lungs. Now there's two different things that when we think about those words, we do this physically, but also we need to do this spiritually. And we use this phrase, am I inspired? Where is my inspiration coming from? Now we same thing, we take in oxygen, we take in an inspiration, and then we get to live, but then also we need an inspiration to live from. And this is what we are, when we think about taking in oxygen, it is the good thing, and then we expel CO2 that then the trees take in and produce oxygen for us. Once again, another amazing part of creation. What are we doing? We're taking in the good and expelling the bad. We're being inspired by good things and then we're expiring the bad things. So the question is, not what am I taking into my physical lungs because all of those things happen automatically. What am I taking into my spiritual lungs to be inspired? Am I breathing in selfishness? Am I just being inspired by selfishness? Am I just taking in the, the contemporary culture of the time? And when we think about that word, contemporary, it just means it's temporary. So we just don't want to breathe in the culture, and then that's what is inspiring me, because that is self-destructing all around us. Am I just breathing in politics? Am I just being inspired to think politically all of the time, and then exhaling vitriol for my political counterparts. No, God has a whole different way for us to live. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, Jesus said, that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, Jesus is not just talking that there's electricity flowing through our body and we get to breathe in oxygen. He's talking about a way of living. This word abundant means exceeding abundantly something further, more, superior, extraordinary, uncommon, that God wants us to live uncommon lives. And that word life, zoe, just means the life of God. Every living soul, the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God, and it should be devoted to God. Paul comments on this. We can see that there's directives or directions for us to live the life of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 27 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. So there's chaotic things always happening in our lives, but God is taking all of that chaos that he doesn't produce. We face it because we live in a sin-infected world. God is taking all of that and he is bringing order to our lives. But then our part is to be conformed to the image of his son who wants us to live the abundant life of God, uncommon life, life that goes beyond that we could even think or describe. Now, this principle that we see in Scripture, that Jesus actually wants us to live, once again, to breathe in the inspiration from God, to breathe out the bad, which would be sin, that we don't want to take in sin and live from the place of sin. So we get to breathe in this oxygen, 
And then because we can breathe in this oxygen without actually choosing the six million times that we're breathing every year, we have a measure of freedom. Now we talked about choices and how God wants to affect our choices, but because we can breathe, with, again, without plugging in, well, really the only thing that we plug in to get energy back is when we exercise and then when we sleep. All of those things revitalize us. But because we can breathe, we're free to choose some things. We're all going to be faced with choosing what inspires us. What is the place that we are inspired to live from? Because we can see the physical thing teaches something about the spiritual. Oxygen on the physical level will inspire us. But what we want to get is this mental inspiration, this spiritual inspiration from the life of God. Now, when we think about this idea of freedom, sort of the modern concept of freedom, that generally speaking, nobody looks at Christianity or religion as a whole and says, you know what, when I think about religion or religious people, they're not necessarily talking about freedom. And then people would generally say, you know, religion actually removes freedom. And I want to be free to choose. I want to be free to be inspired to do what I want to do. And I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I just want to do, I want to be inspired by the thing that I would choose. And there's a very famous song uh, from a Disney movie and a princess who could have ice uh, coming out of her hands. And this is one of her famous songs. You know, we sing all of these songs. A lot of times we actually don't know what we are singing. And there's actually a really good chorus about letting it go that we could apply in, in certain areas of our lives. But listen to some of the lyrics from this very famous song that tells us and describes to us what's happening in the culture around us. This is what it says. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. This is the description, the modern description of what freedom is. You know, there's no rules for me. There's no, nothing's right or wrong. And I am just going to be free. You can't tell me what to do, God. You can't tell me what to do, religion. You can't tell me what to do, Christianity. I am free. You can't tell me what to do. Now, when we think about freedom, um, if we could maybe perhaps reframe the discussion around freedom that we could think about it maybe in a different way and otherwise be some sort of negative, arbitrary constraints coming on our lives, but actually see them as the life of God. So let's think about this. We all have freedom to choose what we want to eat, generally speaking. Now, what if we use that freedom to just eat sour keys? Now, do you remember growing up, you could go to the convenience store, and nobody would ever do this now, but there would be like you know, a thing, there would be a container with the sour keys, and you would reach in with your hands, no gloves, who knows who was touching these sour keys before you got there, and you would get like a bag of sour keys, and you would eat them. And you, you know, as a kid, you always have your mom constraining you, and you're like, you could only eat so many sour keys, but what us as adults, we could be like, you know what, I can eat as many sour keys as I want, mom. I'm not at home anymore. You can't tell me what to do. So I'm going to use my freedom to just have a singular diet of sour keys. What is eventually going to happen to our freedom? Our freedom is going to be constrained on the other side of a constant diet of sour keys. Why? A loss of health. We're going to be sitting in a hospital bed if all we eat, and I don't, I don't know, I don't think anybody should test this, but I know how long it would take, but your body would just start to 
you know, just go in a very negative direction because all of the sugar that's happening in your body and diabetes would probably show up eventually and you would actually lose your freedom because of the choices that you made with your freedom. So when we think about it, that is kind of when we think about freedom and how there could be some positivity to constraining our choices, that when we are choosing uh, certain things, we're putting constraints on ourselves so that we can experience a different type of freedom in our future. Now, when, when my kids were a little bit younger in elementary school, you know, we would always go to their school events and there'd be assemblies for different things. And, you know, when we would go to these events and I would sit beside my wife, generally speaking, she did not want me to say things during presentations when other kids were doing things because she always thought she was nervous that I would make a comment about somebody's kid and that parent would be sitting behind us. So she would, you know, she would face forward and she would like cross her arms and like pinch me or like, you know, if I would go to lean to say something because I was always making comments. So one of these times, there was a talent show at one of my kids' schools. And so the teacher got up and I appreciated a little bit what was she saying. It was like, you know, we got so many kids that are going to be they're going to be expressing their talents today, and everybody is just kind of on the same talent level, so we're just going to give the same amount of applause for every person. And I turned to my wife to say something about that comment, because I didn't actually believe that it was true, and she'd like give me the pinch, like, don't, don't say anything. You're not allowed to say that. And here's what I would say about all kids. They are all equally valuable, but they're not all equally talented, as I would see here at this talent show. So let me just describe to you what happened at this talent show. So, you know, kids could bring whatever they were doing and do some stuff. And there was this one little guy, I appreciate him, a problem, he's a soccer player. So he got a soccer ball. And he basically moved his soccer ball five feet across the stage with one leg. And then he moved it five feet across the stage with the other. And that was his talent. And I'm not saying he might not be the next Ronaldo or something. But in that moment, I, I, was I supposed to be clapping for this? I don't know what we're doing in this moment. And then after this guy, another kid gets up at the piano. This is like grade five or grade four. And this kid plays Mozart. And I just like in that moment, I'm like, listen, if the kid with the soccer ball was my son after this talent show, I'm going to be like, the Mozart kid crushed you, son, <laughs> in the talent event. <laughs> Now, what happened with these two kids in this moment in time? Not that you can't do good things with soccer. Is that the Mozart kid put specific constraints on his time, or maybe his mom. Put constraints on his time. And then we see that the choices they made actually produced something else. And this is what we would need to think about our freedom, that our freedom, the choices that we're making are actually going to produce results, that we're constraining ourselves in certain areas, that everything isn't, oh, it doesn't matter, there's no right or wrong. I, I want to be free. Let me just tell you how practically that doesn't work. You know, every one of the responsibles that I have, as I've told you many times, uh, on the weekly in my house, I am the person taking out the garbage. And then Nicole will remind me, you know, if I got to do something, it's, oh yeah, we got to get the garbage bags, no problem, we'll take care of it. But in that moment, on Sunday night, as we're preparing for Monday morning garbage, that Nicole said something to me about taking out the garbage. And I said, it's time to see what I can do, honey, to test the limits and break through. There's no right or wrong, no rules for me. 
I'm free. I don't have to take out the garbage just because you're telling me to take out the garbage. What would be happening later on in the freedom that I would be describing as a marriage if I were to continue with this way of thinking that my wife would be bringing some constraints on me? And I would say, there's no right or wrong. There's no rules for me. I am free. Again, it's applying the proper constraints on our behavior and our thinking that will have freedom in our future. See, if I were to say those lyrics to my wife or express those intents to my wife about everything that she said to me, there's no right or wrong. I'm free. What freedom would I experience in the future in our marriage relationship? No, it would, be, it would start to destroy, be destroyed and, and self-destruct in that moment. You know, and I, I don't do this. I'm not a big car guy. But just to have a you know, equal access to jokes here. <laughs> if I were to have like a really nice sports car, which I don't, I'm not really a car guy, and like a really low riding car, and I, my wife wanted to drive this car, that somehow I really love this car, and then she was like, you know, we're w- driving on a road with speed bumps, and I'm like, babe, take it easy. I don't want this car to hit the cement. I don't want sparks flying out of my car. But she said to me in that moment, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's no rules for me. I'm free. Now we constrain ourselves and we apply the proper constraint on our choices so we will experience the freedom we want to experience in the future. See, when we think about the constraints of God, the constraints of God are not arbitrary. They are purposeful. And when we look in the scripture, everything that we see in the scripture that that tells us and shows us how to live, they are all of a retrospective nature. And what I mean by that is the writers of the scripture, they are seeing the activity of God and they're seeing the behavior of man over generation after generation and watching how the activity of man leads to really bad spots. And so the word of God says, hey, we're going to constrain our freedom here in these certain areas so that we don't end up in a bad spot in our future. And this is how we need to look at the laws of God. They're not arbitrary. They're not there to take away all of our fun. Because if we engage in all of these things in the future, we will experience a loss of freedom. And God does not want us to experience a loss of freedom in our future. Romans chapter 6 Verse 20 says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Listen now, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And once again, the idea of eternal life is not just life after we die, but it's a descriptor, it is that, but it is also a descriptor of the abundant life that Jesus wants us to walk in. So I don't want to be a slave to sin. I don't want to make those choices that if I keep doing them, my, lo- my life is destroyed in the future, and then I'm actually separating myself from the freedom of God because of the choices I'm making. 
because it says it like this, the wages of sin is death. And that doesn't just mean dying physically, that we are inserting death into the lives that we live, the wages. What is that? It's payment. There's an automatic payment for sinful action. And it's not that God is enforcing these things and God is doing bad things to us. No, automatically with the choices that we make, and we all know this to be true, there's consequences to our actions. And God doesn't want us to suffer the consequences of sinful choices. The wages of sin to death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. There was a a famous Pharisee who had a conversation with Jesus, and we see this helps us to understand this principle. John chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from, from God, but no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now what the struggle was, was for the Pharisees that Jesus was outside of their normal religious thinking. He was operating in a way differently than they had seen. He wasn't so much talking about the laws of the Old Testament, that he was actually ministering life to people, that he was ministering healing to people. And so this was confusing for them because Jesus stepped outside of the norm and he was healing people on the Sabbath day and doing all of these different things. And and Nicodemus is realizing that God was with him, but he was doing these things outside of the norm, ministering life to people. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus is comparing and contrasting again, being born physically, but then being born spiritually, this physical life that we are all given from God's common grace. But this spiritual life that we all choose to be a part of or not. To constrain ourselves to the life of God. And once again, the rules, the thoughts of God are not arbitrary. They are purposeful. They are life-giving. So he's like, he didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Well, how can I be born physically again? Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm talking about a spiritual thing. I'm talking about something that would inspire you. That we would breathe in the life of God and we see that the spirit comes from a place and we don't know where it comes from. And once again, that word spirit has to do with like oxygen, it's breath, it's air. Not just the physical life that we're living, but being aware of the kingdom of God. That is the thing that God wants us to be inspired by, taking it into our spiritual lungs and living out the life of God. And so we need to be able to recognize what is counterfeit life that's being offered to us by the culture all around us. I've I've heard somebody talk about um, how they train people, bank tellers sometimes, to recognize counterfeit money. 
And it's not by showing them a bunch of counterfeit money. It is by actually having them over and over again handled real money. So that when we know we're so comfortable with what the real money feels like, when counterfeit money comes up, we know that it's not true. And this needs to be true for us followers of Christ, we need to know what the kingdom of God looks like and sounds like and how God wants us to be inspired to live so then when something comes our way through our TVs or our phones or an idea or a thought, man, I know, that doesn't seem right. That, that's counterfeit money. I don't want to be inspired by counterfeit kingdom. I want to be inspired by the kingdom of God because in the kingdom of God, man, there is life for us to live See, when we understand about our physical bodies, our physical bodies are just a series of interconnected systems. And there's an order to it. And we know when something gets out of order in our bodies, in our physical bodies, what do we call that? Disease, dis-ease. Because something is going on in my body that's out of order. And the same thing can happen with us spiritually. We can be breathing in the wrong thing. We can be breathing in the lyrics to the song. There's no right or wrong. There's, there's, no, there's nothing, there's no constraints on me. I could do all these things. I am free. But then we're missing out on the freedom that God offers by accepting the freedom, the so-called freedom that the culture offers us. There's, there's no, you can't put any constraints on me. But God puts the proper constraints on us so that we can actually live free in the future. See, sin is good for the moment. The life of God is good for a lifetime. See, and this is what we need as we take in and are inspired by the life of God, that we would breathe in the wind of the Spirit of God in our lives and be inspired by His kingdom. He wants to fill our spiritual lungs. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The word of God will give us the inspiration to live by. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are, as the, the, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Jesus answered, truly, I tell you that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Very famous verse, but what does it mean? When we live in the freedom that God gives, when we constrain our choices in the future, we will experience the life, the freedom that God has for us. See, God is offering us life. He wants us to be inspired. He wants our lungs to be filled, our spiritual lungs, with his word and with his thoughts. See, disordered affections and actions get our lives out of order, out of step with our designer. We don't want to do that. What is that? That's walking in sin. The wages of sin is death. God offers something else to us. He inspires us. He gives us life. See, sin oppresses us. Then we become a slave to the sin that we partake of. But man, God is giving us and offering us freedom for now and for eternity. See, when we look at what Jesus did, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, he 
showed them the laws from the Old Testament. He's like, you've heard it said this, but I say to you. And so what he was doing was he was helping them to see the inspiration in the law. So in the law, one of the famous laws of the Old Testament was, you know, we, we don't kill, we don't murder. And Jesus said, I say to you, don't even hate. And then he goes beyond that and he says, don't just not hate. What I want you to do is reconcile. See, obviously, the extreme of any situation, the extreme of any relationship gone wrong ends up in a very severe act. But Jesus is tracking it back for us and helping us to be inspired to just not, not murder people. But he wants us to be inspired by, you know what, you need to reconcile. There's life in that law. That law given in the Old Testament that Jesus is showing us and teaching us that there's life in there. Not just constraints on our actions to not kill somebody, but in that law, embedded in that law is life. And what is the life? You know what? You don't have to go around hating everybody. And not just not hating everybody, you can reconcile. That there's love for you, that there's forgiveness for you to operate and live by. Man, that's a way to be inspired. Not to just think, oh, here's all these laws I mean. I got to break free from all of these laws because I don't understand why they're there. Jesus helped us to see the truth and the law and what it meant and how we can be inspired to live once we understand the heart behind the law, the heart behind the rules. Not just walking around saying, there's no right, no wrong for me, I'm free. No, that type of living, man, ends up in not freedom. God has freedom for us. Listen to these inspiring words from Galatians chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law, all of the laws in the Old Testament, the constraints on our activity, the constraints, the properly placed constraints on our lives. The whole law is filled, fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, once we understand what life is all about, it's not all about, oh, I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I, got, I can't do this, and everybody's taking away my fun, and I can't make all these choices. I just wanna be free from all of these constraints. And then we think that life is somehow like that. But the New Testament, the scripture is reframing life for us in a whole different way. That life means it's on the offense. I don't mean by being offended. I mean by playing offense. That I am doing something with my life. That I'm using my freedom to serve and love other people. And this is where inspiration comes from. From the life of God. I'm free, yes, I'm free from sin, but I don't, that, I don't use that freedom to say, you know, you can't tell me what to do. No, what God wants us to do that produces a better world for all of us if we take that freedom and we love each other. That I can take that, the, the, the whole law, the whole law, all of the laws that we have in our land, if we would be inspired by what's underneath them all, we wouldn't break any of them. Why? Because we would be loving people. Instead of trying to find ways, you can't tell me what to do. Don't constrain me. I want to be free. But that type of freedom 
leads to destruction. Last thing, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 says this. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in and of ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers. That means servants of a new covenant. This is what we have when we follow Jesus. This brand new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. In other words, being inspired, be inspired to live on the offense, to be doing something with our lives. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. See, laws are not inspiring. But once we understand the heart, what is the reason underneath it all? Man, it's a way that gives life. It's a way for me to love and serve others. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone, talking about the, the Ten Commandments, came with such glory. Now, the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of the glory which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed in glory. Listen, God wants to fill our sails with inspiration. He wants to fill our lungs with inspiration. Man, we get to breathe. Thank God for that. But let's be inspired to do the life of God, that we can live loving lives even with the people that we disagree with, that I don't use my freedom for selfishness, that I use the freedom that I have in Christ, man, to be a blessing to other people, to serve other people, to love other people. Man, and God wants us to live this life. Let's just pray today. Father, we just love you today. We are so thankful for your word that inspires us, challenges us to take action with your spirit, helping us and leading us and guiding us and helping us to find ways to be a blessing to others to be inspired, to act in love. God, we thank you for that. That we don't look at your constraints on our lives as a negative, but we understand that they are your heart towards us and your heart towards us to, to be free, to live the life that you have designed for us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The life that God has designed for us, man, starts with a relationship with him. And it's so easy to have a relationship with God. Jesus has provided one for us. So if you are watching today and you've never taken a first step in your relationship with God by saying yes to Jesus, I'm gonna pray a prayer here in a second. I invite you to pray along with me. Man, it's just a first step. Our, our lives of faith are a journey, a lifetime journey. But this prayer is just a first step to say yes to Jesus. The gospel, the good news is all that Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross. God raised him from the dead. And all of that makes provision for us to know God for ourselves. Not just to see God as some, somehow distant, but to actually be in a relationship with him. So if you have never done that today, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes and let's pray this prayer today. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life. 
and he died on a cross and you raised him from the dead so I could know you. I say yes to that relationship today. I say yes to your righteousness. God, I call you my father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways and turn from my own. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. Be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for other messages. For more content from The City Church or to connect with us, visit us at thecitychurch.ca or find us on Facebook or Instagram at City Church GTA. Thanks again for joining us.